welcome to the preparatory podcast we are here and doing something new today sam has changed his life and i want you i want him to tell you why i bought a computer and now we're doing the podcast online <laughs> oh i got married that's what we're talking yeah, about isn't it that, that was what and i was I'm going like, for that's why i had to move or that's why i had to move away and that's why we're doing the podcast online yeah but tell us about the computer <laughs> that's some really interesting <laughs> stuff right there it's a really nice one um i've had the computer for a while now i will go into details and bore you with that but i've been married two months as of the recording of this podcast to the day Ooh, to the day the happy two months thank you the 14th november 14th and this is this january 14th 2021 so kicking it off right you know yeah this is the first time back recording for quite a while because we just kind of piled up on the episodes that we had and sam got married and still haven't done anything for a while and so now here we are we are back in the book of mormon um we are going through mosiah eight today and sam tell us about mosiah eight well we are going to pick up right off where we left off um with i know we talked about going back into chapter seven a little bit in the last episode um i don't know that we're going to end up doing that but mosiah eight is the same story um it's abinadi preaching and calling out the King Noah and his terrible, no good, very bad court um, filled with bad priests and bad, well, yeah, just bad, wicked priests, except for one, um, as we're going to find out as we continue out the story of the, the gospel here in the Americas in ancient days. But um, I will just kick this off um, to Andrew because I believe Andrew. Um, it's got an interesting point for us starting off in nice first old one, old verse one. Well, it's interesting to me, so I can't promise that it'll be interesting to you. But in verse one, I I thought, um, you know, it's it's uh, tail ending his his talking about the commandments. Um, he had just listed the ten that uh, Moses had brought down from the mountain, you know. And um, and to start off for uh, chapter eight, he says, have you taught this people that they should observe to do all these things, meaning the commandments? Um, and then in verse two, nay, for if you had, the Lord would not have caused me to come forth and to pros- prophesy evil concerning this people. I I uh, read that and I was like, wow, that's pretty harsh against the leaders. I mean, rightfully so, you know. Because they were bad, as you said, bad, terrible, no good, awful court. And I and I thought um, some people today in the church might use uh, this kind of same mindset. Not same mindset. They might um, take take this and maybe further this thought in a way that shouldn't be furthered um, by saying our leadership failed us and that's why we're in the position that we are when 
um, you know, it's not always down to the leadership. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know if I have a question in here or something, but what do you guys think about um, where's the line for how, how can a leader, um, how often can a leader affect the, the spiritual life of the group that they are leading? Uh, because we see, I mean, here they did affect. Yeah. But like, then you look at it, the life of Jesus and he had 12 very devoted followers and he's probably definitely the best example of a leader we have. And uh, even though he was perfect, Judas, I mean, didn't end up good. And so, I mean, where's, where's that line? Like how often or how much control does a leader have, you know, kind of, what do you guys think about that? I think we saw it earlier in the reading with Jacob um, and Jacob being the leader to the Nephites, having to preach to them harshly. And we saw from his words or read from his words that he was preaching them to them so that their sins would not be on him so that he could tell them what they needed to hear. And that way he couldn't be held accountable. Not because he didn't want to be um, not because he was trying to be a, escape from that or whatever, but because, um, well, I think part of that, he didn't want their wickedness on him. Um, he says that I don't want your blood on my robes. <laughs> and, but also because, um, if you love someone, you're trying to tell them the truth and you're trying to help them. So that's what was going on. Um, I think about just in football, I'll make a football analogy and it's, we're only five minutes. in, so this is, Maybe we're out of practice, <laughs> but um, when you're going through like, especially at pro sports, um, I read a lot of like the forums and the comments and stuff like that. And everyone, if you, if you have a losing season, there's so many times where it's like, all right, get rid of the coach, get rid of the leadership, get rid of the general manager and the coach, because obviously these guys aren't playing very well under um, the guy who's leading them. Um, but I remember there was one season in particularly where the, the, the team that I follow, um, one of the, the big problems they had was dropping the football when it was thrown to them. And um, I remember thinking, like, there's a lot of calls for the head coach to be fired. And I just remember thinking that, okay, if you got to the NFL, if you got to the pro level of this league, um, how can a coach, like, it's not like they're not telling them to catch the ball. Right. And, and you can argue like, well, you could do more catching drills and practice and stuff like that. But at some point it falls on the players too. Um, <laughs> like what can they do? If you can't catch the ball, then you just can't be in the league. And the coach is working with a player. You can't catch. Like that's the main part of a wide receiver's job is catch the ball. And if the wide receiver can't do that, then sorry, you're out. But I think what you're saying in this specifically, uh, back to Abinadi and the leaders of that people and then the people themselves, is that the people in power had the scriptures because stuff was so hard to write down, so hard to um, pass around, is that if you were part of that society or that upper echelon of society, like the priests of Noah were, then you had the power to influence in a very, very strong way um, in that you had access to probably the written tablets um, that Nephi had. Um, and I'm not 
speaking specifically about Kino's court because there's a lot of jumping and hopping around. But they at least had, if anybody had records, it was probably them um, of what was going on. And they perverted that. And so they, in a lot of ways, the blood of the people that they were leading, uh, unlike Jacob getting that off of them, off of themselves, their own robes, they were fine with it because they were happy living with that blood on their robes if it meant they could gain riches and power and keep their status. So Jason, what do you think about um, leadership today? Like uh, should the priesthood be doing more? Should the, is it the priesthood's fault or is it the leadership of any particular group or, you know, like what, what's that? How does that come into play now? Yeah, I think today in the church we have um, a lack of leadership, and I think we've talked about it before. But um, you know, not everyone's called to be a leader. But sometimes when you don't really have an appointed leader, uh, everyone feels like they need to be the leader, um, and I think we see some of that today. I don't know. The, we don't need to get into specifics or anything, but um, I think when everyone's trying to lead, no one's going anywhere. We, we just lack cohesion um, when there is no appointed leader. And, and that's just the time that we are in today where um, some people think that the, they have uh, profit or um, some people think there's no profit or you know we have all these different factions and these different denominations that um, you pretty much just pick who you want and there's not a whole lot of just submitting our own will to what God would want us to do and what God has appointed and we tend to get ahead of the horse with God um, when everyone feels like they need to be a leader. Um, and that's not to say there aren't good leaders out there. There's definitely great guys out there, but I always feel like we could be doing more and trying to be a more cohesive unit as priesthood and not necessarily, um, you know, starting anything or, but just being able to um, work together and kind of, I, I don't even know how to put it, but there, there's just a lot to be desired in um, how the priesthood is leading. And that falls on us. That falls on everyone, I think. Um, and you kind of see that in the church, but it's also appointed by, not appointed by God, but um we sh knew that a time like this would come and it has to has come in the past where we're just kind of in the wilderness and we don't really know what to do. And it comes on the individual members to really submit their own will to God. And really we have to work on um, learning discernment and being able to um, follow who we need to and 
not follow. I think when you look at our modern day leaders, you're probably going to have to boil it down to, uh, or not boil it down, but um, you got to look first at the pastors of the independent branches. Cause that's probably, if you're going to church at that branch, and that's probably one place where you agree with. Um, I also think though, that the, I agree with Jason that the priesthood should be getting it together. Um, but to that point, the pastors that I know or that I'm close with um, are very passionate about the work and they're, they want to get their branch <laughs> moving in the right direction. And there's just hiccup after hiccup. And I think that falls then on the people because I, at least those that I'm close with, uh, in presiding elder positions is that they're doing everything they can. And it's an all year affair. I don't know if um, you guys can speak to, to that. If that my dad's never been pastor, but, um, but the, but going the pastors that I know that it is not something that they, uh, they take lightly. And it's, and it's in a lot of ways, I think the same, vibe that I get from them is what I got from reading Jacob when he was like, I'm trying to pull this people to salvation. And it's like, they're sitting down like in the sand feet dug in and I can't do anything. Um, now that's going to be different for every branch. And obviously people are people and they all have different thoughts and opinions. And some people are going to be like, well, my, my pastor's not doing that. And you, you just don't see eye to eye. And that's, you know, you I'm not saying that pastors are perfect. Um, I'm just saying that I think there's effort in some places in leadership to get that done. Um, but I think what I wanted to get to, my point was there's a necessity, like when they're put in that position, they realize, oh, we can't be stagnant or we're going to die. Um, that's very real to them in their position because of what they see. And you see it when people get out of the pastor's position or maybe priesthood who don't speak a lot or don't participate a lot. They don't have that drive and they don't have that push because they're not called upon a lot. And like, whether it's their fault or their own, um, they're not going to be around that drive. I, Andrew can probably speak to this too, but there's never a point where I feel more like we got to get the work going than right after a missionary trip. Like you come back from Africa and it's like, why is no one doing anything over here? Like what, why are there, what, what the heck? what are we doing? We're sitting with our hands in our pockets and doing nothing, you know? And it's, it's times like that. I think that's the effect. Um, and leadership, you either crumble or you're like, we got to go now. Um, and the, we got to go now is where we all have to be. And it's just really hard to do that without, um, pressure. Yeah. I think we need to find a healthy balance of leaders and pastors. Like you're saying, creating those opportunities um, for the people to serve God, um, creating opportunities for people to serve each other. And um, then it really falls on the people to respond to that. And so it, it's a delicate balance and you, you can never blame stagnation in the church on one specific thing. Um, it's usually a multitude of factors, but um, yeah, it, the, there's such a big requirement for everybody. Um, if our own uh, relationship with God was dependent on a pastor, then that's not an actual relationship with God. It's 
and that's what we've talked about a lot is God wants to specifically have a relationship with you and he cares about what you are saying. He cares about your prayers and he loves you enough to listen to them and give you answers. Um, but so you would hope that your pastors have that relationship with God and are being led by him to put the church um, that he is presiding over in a situation where they can respond and um, grow their own relationships. Yeah, I agree. I think the the biggest problem that um, we suffer from today is we have not taught people how to be disciples. Um, if you look at those who I don't want to say are in elevated positions, but are um, held in high regard in the church, are they are first off disciples. Um, but the biggest thing is they're self-starters. Um, and I don't want to to our own horn, but like the visits got started because we just said, we're going to go on visits. Like no one, no pastor came to us and no. Now I attribute that a lot to the Lord working on Amos, not even myself, just that I was in the right place at the right time. And I was blessed by that to be a part of that. And, um, and now all three of us have gone on visits before, but if like, if I wasn't in that position, I would still probably be sitting around with, nothing to do. And that's where I think the leadership has failed is they haven't taught people how to be disciples. And I think how to be disciples is basically what Jason was talking about, about having a personal relationship with the Lord where it's your actions. So self-starters are needed. Leaders are needed to, to teach people how to be disciples. And overall, I think just everyone disciples are needed. So we let me so far off base. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we yeah, we did. It's fine. To to kind of further the rabbit hole though, I because I think this is pertinent and important. I uh through various conversations with my uh older family members, they've said, Well, the church will really get going when we when we get a leader. And um I I you know, as a younger person, I, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's, that's how it's going to be. It might be, it might not be, I, I'm not sure. But, um, as a young think, person, sorry, go ahead. as a young person, it's hard to see, uh, see that happening because of the state that we're in. So if it is to happen, what are the circumstances that are going to have to, that are going to have to come into place? Like are, are people's hearts just going to have to change or is this person going to be straight, let, straight up, let, just like Moses, like boom. I mean, here's a, a cloud of locusts. I mean, this proves that I'm from God kind of thing. Like, uh, because in, I don't know, I, I don't see, um, <clears throat> in all of scripture, I mean, excuse me, in all of scripture, wickedness blinds people and so it doesn't matter what they see it it matters where their heart is and so if we're not in a state to receive a leader then we're not going to receive a leader no matter how many signs we see obviously signs are for the believers right and and so yeah what are your what are your thoughts about that what 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 would it take for us to to come to a point where we can agree on someone who's going to be okay yeah this is our our leader well i think that 
the idea that things will really take off um, once we get a leader is true, but it's true in the sense like, <laughs> yeah, uh, duh. Like, I don't know, when everyone follows one person, obviously more stuff's going to get done. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, but then it starts with what you were talking about is that no one as of right now would accept the same leader unless their hearts were changed or um, they had they had made a concert concentrated effort to go before the Lord and ask, you know, who, what voice should we listen to right now? Um, and I think it's probably been given spiritually that we should all be united listening to the Lord um, or take our questions before the Lord together. And that doesn't mean as fragmented bodies, it means you have to sit next to someone you disagree with, but that's, I mean, that's what I believe. Yeah, when I talk with, about this with other people, um, something that usually comes up is, well, you don't want to um, kind of compromise on doctrine. And I I actually really agree with that. Um, and I think the way to kind of mend the divide that we see in our own church would be to truly understand who God and Christ are and submitting our own wills to him. And we have to, well, I'll, I'll just say this. Um, a word that's been on my mind a lot recently has been sanctification. And I think that is kind of, what my focus has been on and you know who am i to say but i think it should be a focus in the church right now where we really need to repent of even simple things like not loving each other and um and not just repenting but tr like i keep saying is giving up our wills and um, you should be able to unite under a fully understood doctrine. And if we were to study more and to truly just know what the scriptures tell us about things, then we'd be going way less on opinion and more just, Hey, this is what the church is. And this is what we're going to follow. And I think that is a very, um, powerful state that we could be in that we're just not yet. And I think many, many members are dealing with a lot of sin right now. And me included, like there's, there's no one that's hiding away from sin right now. Um, but we really need to come with a broken heart and contrite spirit because the scriptures say that that's what we need to do to unite. And once we have that and we look to God together, then um, we have the promise of Zion and just promise of salvation. So. Um, but moving on. And so I'll try and not to end this rebel because I have <clears throat> more that 
we could talk about this for a long time. Um, <laughs> um, we might talk about it after we're done recording too, probably, but um, just to pull us out of that, I think that the bottom line is that Abinadi is making us that leadership is, is important. Um, and it's important because the people are important and the people were not being fed. The people were not being led righteously. And that was causing the people to sin. And that was causing the people to lose their way um, and not have that relationship with Christ like they should have. Um, and one of the things um, that Abinadi begins to give to them um, is he is talking about how they've they've mistaught the law of Moses and that um, they, they've taught that salvation cometh by the law. Um, and Abinadi, obviously, um, he says this is this is not how it's going to go. Um, but then he begins to, to quote quite a bit of Isaiah um, and he, and he does it bef- after asking them um, that maybe they don't understand the law. So he, now he's saying, well, you who are leading don't even understand what's going on here. Um, and then he begins to quote um, uh, a pretty famous chapter in Isaiah. And it's famous because it basically tells the whole story of Christ and, um, but it's happen like flat out, just like exactly how certain things are going to happen. But it's happening 800 years before Christ comes. So that's why um, that's so significant, I think, in the Old Testament is because if if you want to have a, a conversation about prophets talking about Christ before Christ was there, um, then Isaiah chapter 53 is, is huge. Um, so I'll pose this question to you, Andrew. And it's totally off the bat. Definitely haven't said it three times and had recording issues and internet connection issues. Um, and it's not a pre-planned answer, <laughs> but why would Abinadi um, tell the priests and King Noah, you don't understand the law of Moses and you don't understand how to teach it. And then to explain it to them, quote Isaiah 53. Well, I think it's for a very similar reason that, um, you know, when we read Nephi's vision, when um, he was asked, do you understand what the fruit is on this tree? And then he sees Jesus. Uh, I mean, like, because that is the explanation, you know, and he is the explanation. And so without Jesus, um, Noah and the priests would have been right. I mean, like the, the only way to salvation would have been through the law. and the thing is, I mean, Jesus came and, and, and that's what he's saying is, is here salvation comes a whole, it's a whole different rodeo now that, I mean, he came and, and went up on the cross for you and I, because, um, you know, it's never anything we deserved. It's never anything we thought was going to happen. Or, I mean, unless you read or, or were close to God, you know, but, um, but it happened, you know, and, and, and so, uh, it's, it's kind of funny, um, reading things through different stages in your life. And so being in the church for now, uh, well, I'm, I'm 23. So like as, as much as I can remember, like about 19 years of cognizant, you know, um, time in the church and, uh, reading through this section 
in different store stages of my life has is changed and uh it used to be just like why yeah what like i used to have this question why they're they're confused at this point like they don't understand so why is he just saying jesus is the answer because that seems like a cop-out kind of thing but the more you really learn about the gospel the more it turns into the world is um the world is set up in a way where we cannot succeed by ourselves and literally the only answer for us is jesus and so when abinadi's questioned here and and he's met with their their wickedness the only thing he can give them is jesus because that's really the only thing he has it's the only thing he has to offer them word yeah i think uh i mean you did a good job of of uh explaining that better than just saying oh because jesus was the reason for the law or the law was pointing to jesus <laughs> um which he sorry which he does say um in in verse seven you know like uh, they gave you laws and they were strict and you were to keep them in remembrance of god and their duty towards him um, and so it was for a purpose doesn't Paul say that he was the best at keeping the law? Like he was the absolute yeah. poster child yeah, he, for... He, he would have been... He said he was perfect according to the law. He's a law abider. He's an in-law, not an outlaw. Um, and and so Isaiah, or Isaiah is quoted a lot. Um, not just chapter 53, but once he gets done with chapter 53, now he's quoting this... Um, obviously, um, the Bible wasn't a thing back in 100 BC or, and so, <laughs> um, he actually, right after he's done with 53, he starts quoting 52, I believe as well. Um, when it talks about the ends of the earth, um, receiving this salvation of our God. So he tells them, um, what the law is pointing to or what the, the intent is and the teaching of the law, um, but then he also teaches them further than that because then he begins to talk about salvation, rebellion, sin, the place it has. Um, and I think this is important because he doesn't just give the teachers or the priests who should be the teachers, the material to teach. He begins instructing them in their own lives because they are the ones who have fallen so short and have fallen or have sinned so much and are leading this people astray. Um, and it's almost like a, uh, um, not a threat, but um, I know I'm jumping all over the place. If if you guys want to go back to, to anything, you can. Um, uh, but he begins to talk about um, what the righteous will get and also what those who are unrighteous will get. Um, and I'm in verse 64, and he's talking specifically about those who know the commandments and have rebelled. And he says, um, the Lord does redeem. Um, those people um, he can um, it says neither can the Lord redeem such for he cannot deny himself he cannot deny justice when it has its claim um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on his speech on or his sermon on justice or anything that specifically makes me think of uh, I've cited this before because I really like this scene in the Chronicles of Narnia when Aslan comes out of the tent after speaking with the white witch um, 
and they're they've just negotiated the terms for Edmonds um trade really for for Aslan's life, you know. Um but they use that same word like claim. He has a claim, she has a claim to Edmund's life until Aslan steps in and and saves him, you know. And and the same thing is is true for us is that uh justice has its claim on us because the world is set up so that if you aren't like God, you're not going to last. I mean, like you, you, you just don't live because God is life. God is eternal life, you know? And so it has its claim on you. If you don't allow Jesus to come work in your life. That's just what it, that's just what it made me think of. Yeah. Kind of along the same lines. Um, just to bring up some of the law and justice, um, the law of Moses is given as a guideline of how to live without sin when a savior doesn't exist, basically. Um, but these prophets were given, um, you know, prophecy that Christ was coming. And that through that, this justice and, you know, because I guess I should also say that the law of Moses is also setting up all the justice that is required for sinners and those who break the law. And so someone, since God made a law, it has to be fulfilled and he can't just go back on what he's commanded. And so that's where you have just this wonderful act of selfish selflessness and um, just the, the greatest act in all of history of sending Christ to fulfill all the terms of justice that have been laid out. And he died for, everyone and so those laws and demands could be fulfilled and that's what is so powerful to me about when we talk about justice is christ doesn't just make it go away um he doesn't make the law go away it's a fulfillment and if you learn anything from the law of moses it's that the wages of sin is death and it just lays out why we deserve to die. And so that's also why it's necessary to kind of understand a lot of the Old Testament and um, the law of Moses. But now these people, verse six says that we have the law of Moses and it was given to the people because they were so stiff necked and they did not want to follow God basically. And so he sets up these laws and the ways that they can kind of have salvation. But to me, it kind of seems like the leaders of this time were teaching the law of Moses, but they had the promises of Isaiah and the promise of Christ. And they just didn't care about it basically because um, he brings up Isaiah saying 
you guys know that God himself is going to come down and fulfill this law. So why are you teaching what you are? It, it doesn't make sense. Um, he's like, we know better. And so, yeah, that's, that's where just all this talk of Christ coming comes from. And it's just, um, great when you understand the role of the law and how Christ has fulfilled that. Well, we know also that when Moses went up for the children of Israel to Mount Sinai and he got the law, that he received the law. And when he came back down, the children of Israel weren't ready for it. And so he broke that, which they couldn't keep, um, which prompted him to go up a second time and to get a lesser law, um, if you could. And it's almost like, you know, that's in the Old Testament. So the people of Nephi had record of that. They knew that when Moses went up um, and came back down, that the Israelites could not keep the uh, the uh, the first law brought down. So they knew there was a second. It'd be it would be like if you bombed your whole class, bombed a test in school, and the teacher said, "All right, we're going to have to go back and review." But then, I mean, you know that the extra, <laughs> like after you review and you get it down, that there's something more to go back to that original test that you took. I mean, it's, and, and there's danger in that with when you have a wicked king and wicked leaders, wicked priests um, who have almost told the people that it's okay to settle um, because that's even, you can't work with the people who are settling. Uh because they're happy they're comfortable where they are um not to mention those people were really bad because <laughs> they were lazy and they were um committing a lot of sin moving us forward kind of and we can talk about this more if you guys have any more um but that really feeds well into um what he says in, in the verses um 78 and 79 it's talking about Christ and, and the importance of, of him coming um, and, and into uh, 80. And then I guess just uh, give or take like seven verses, you know, so like from 74 to like 85, 84. So, um, but, but that feeds really well into what he's saying there. You know, um, if Christ had not come into the world, and speaking of things to come as though they had already come, there could have been no redemption. If Christ had not risen from the dead or have broken the bands of death, that the grave should have no victory and death should have no sting, there could have been no resurrection. And there is a resurrection. Therefore, the grave hath no victory. And the sting of death is swallowed up in Christ. And so just as Jason said, you know, it's not that justice just disappears. It's that it was swallowed up by something greater is that Jesus came and he, he, uh, fulfilled it, you know, and, and he was, he was greater than that law that was given. And, and so it, it doesn't apply to those whom, um, whom have Jesus in their hearts, I guess. Um, and, and, we don't have to end here or anything, but in verse 90, that kind of sums it up really well. If you teach the law of the, Mo if you teach the law of Moses, uh, he ending this all up after talking about it and kind of like slamming it, kind of, not really, but kind of just like 
you guys are focusing on the wrong thing. It sums it up really well. If you're going to teach it, also teach that it is a shadow of those things which are to come. Teach them that redemption cometh through Christ the Lord. You know, that, and that's kind of, we talked about leadership today. To an extent, that's still the problem we have is that we're not focusing enough on Christ. And, and once we do that, um, like you both said earlier, that that's really when we can be united and, and be in a state where we can accept a leader is when we're all looking to Christ. I, uh, I got to go here really quick, but I, if you guys feel comfortable, we could end on this is, um, I really like that point is if you're going to teach someone something, then you're going to have to teach them, um, why, and that the understanding behind it, you can't just say, this is what it is and then leave. Um, and I relate that. I think the easiest way to relate that to us today is that if you're going to share the gospel with someone, um, you're going to have to do it in a way that um, is good, is good news. I mean, that's what it is, the good news. Um, and I had a note back here um, when um, Abinadi is preaching to the priests. Um, we know in how the story goes is that um, one priest listened to Abinadi named Alma. And further through that story, we know that Alma um, uh, escaped, um, formed his own group. You know, he started preaching to the people. They were righteous people. Yada, yada. He has a son and there's a bunch of stuff that goes into that. Um, but in Alma verse five or chapter five, the book of Alma chapter five, verses 18 through 22. Um, I have that marked um, because he is preaching the exact same stuff that Abinadi was preaching in verse um, 14 of, of this chapter eight. And so um, when we preach the gospel or we teach people the gospel, we're going to have to teach them uh, what it's about and why we're telling them. And um, it can't be, Hey, you're sinning. Stop. Like, cause it doesn't tell them why. And it doesn't tell them what you're meaning. Um, and I think that's the biggest pitfall. Uh, that if you're going to preach the gospel, that you're going to have to do it in a way that teaches um, of the love of the kingdom of God, of the promises we have to come, which are Zion and and the good news of Jesus Christ. That goes for for preaching the gospel, but just to clarify, um, calling people to repentance, like like you said, but just I wanted to say that explicitly, like that you need. When calling people to repentance, it's not that you're bad. Stop. I mean, that that's doesn't what, change anybody. Yeah, that's that's probably what I should have focused on because that's what I was meaning. So I'm glad you reiterated that. But yeah, that's the biggest part when you call people to repentance. <laughs> it can't be, I don't like that because that's what we focus on a lot. And it comes off like that. So yeah. And, and not to put a damper on any of it though, but Sometimes you call people to repentance and you speak the truth and uh spoiler alert for like a few verses later, um, they're like, they hear all this and they're like, all right, time to put you to death. And <laughs> that it didn't work out too well. Um, but as we'll learn and basically as Sam said, there was one guy there that heard what he said and, um, really took it to heart and started a a big a big movement so there's our cliffhanger 
tune in next time on WB's XY. Like to thank you all for tuning in and listening. Um, apologies for some of the audio issues and everything. Um, hope you uh, stuck with us through our remote session here. Um, hopefully we'll be able to get together in person and uh, record a bunch. But again, leave any comments or questions, uh, email, Facebook, whatever. Um, yeah, we, we love to hear from you. And um, with that being said, God bless.